I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is your weekly briefing for the week ending November 27th. Automakers are creating technologies that will assist drivers. The goal is to make people better drivers, but driver assist technologies can lull people into a false sense of security so that drivers actually become more prone to distraction, not less. Driver monitoring, coupled with driver assist, could potentially curtail that hazard. In this week's episode, we examine driver monitoring systems. The automotive industry has shifted its near-term focus away from autonomous cars to technologies that will help humans be better drivers. Auto companies are working hard to create systems to assist drivers, but, perhaps counterintuitively, those driver assist technologies seem to be creating a new hazard. Drivers can get a false sense of security from all of that whiz-bang technology and end up paying dangerously less attention to the road than they should. With autonomous driving, the automotive industry got wrapped up in a fully technological solution. It seems automakers still haven't gotten themselves out of that mindset. The mindset that whatever's wrong with driving can be fixed entirely by technology. Which ignores the fact that humans are going to remain behind the wheel for a long time to come. So what is the solution? Ironically, the solution appears to be more technology. Though, the ultimate goal is critically different. Instead of technology to make sure the vehicle behaves, it's technology to make sure that human drivers remain alert and engaged in the task of driving. This week, Junko Yoshida talks with auto industry expert Colin Barnden about driver monitoring systems, or DMS. Colin has been arguing that assisted driving technology, also known as ATIS, must be paired with DMS if we want the best solution for driving. Here's Junko. All right. So this is like a segment that I was really looking forward to having conversation with you because it has everything to do with uh, Tesla and uh, everything to do with what Tesla is not doing and where the industry needs to go. So my first question to you is that um, actually they walk me through that what's happening with autopilot and I think... I think in your latest column, you talked about the, uh, well, one of the latest columns, you talked about the Thatcham Research uh, test results on the uh, the rating of the uh, active uh, driving assistance of different cars. So the what the world is looking at, the you know, how the world is viewing autopilot is what number one. Number two is where Tesla is going with the full self-driving uh, beta release. Wow, what a question! Yeah, uh, where can I start? Uh, I, I mean, I, I think really what I what I've noticed in the last couple of months is really uh, a rise in the the, the voice. There's this chorus of voices now of different uh, advisory bodies. Uh, you've mentioned Thatcher Research. There's also been Euro NCAP. Um, they co-published the uh, uh, automated driving assessment grading. Um, there was something just recently published by uh, Consumer Reports. Uh, we obviously know about the work uh, from the NTSB investigating Tesla. 
Um, there's been work done by Missy Cummings uh, at Duke University as well. And it, essentially, they're all coming around to saying the same thing, which is that autopilot clearly has some safety benefits. It's quite a, a novel uh, interpretation of driver assistance uh, and assisted driving. But they're all saying more or less the same thing is that those benefits that are offered by autopilot uh, in terms of uh, driver assistance are not matched by the deficiencies in the uh, considerations for maintaining uh, awareness of the driver's engagement in the driving task when autopilot is engaged. And we've seen these videos uh, all over the all over YouTube, all over the internet now of drivers getting in the back seat, you know, they're tricking autopilot with oranges and water bottles and, and all sorts of different things. And really what we're seeing is that um, the, uh, the balance between the safety benefits of autopilot are actually negated by the poor design considerations of uh, the driver monitoring system that the, the steering wheel torque sensor that's used uh, in, uh, in Tesla's uh, for autopilot is an inadequate method of maintaining um, or measuring uh, the, the driver engagement and attention level. Um, so that's really what's happening is that the, 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 the all of these bodies are essentially now talking as one and saying that, that that there's yes there's some pluses to autopilot but there's also some deficiencies on on driver monitoring as well. Yeah, and the, now that um, the um, I don't know uh, the the uh, group of uh, lucky or unlucky people got the um, full self-driving better um, updates from Tesla. Uh, what are you actually seeing on the uh, chatters in the internet about the, the FSD? So the, the, the comment that comes from Tesla is the one that I find most interesting. It says, I, I think it's, if I'm quoting it right, it can do the wrong thing at the worst time. Um, and essentially they might just as well call this a, a test level system. Um, and we, we've seen videos, and I, I've been watching videos of uh, a Tesla full self-driving uh, successfully navigating unprotected left turns and then continuing the, the turn and heading straight for the wrong side of the road or heading straight for the median. Um, and the drivers at the very last second grab the steering wheel and steer the car out of, out of danger. Um, now you can call that many things, but you cannot call that production ready. Um, and... This is really the concerns that uh, that all of these bodies that I've, I've just mentioned have got is that, you know, yes, there's some things that are going on and yes, there's some, some great advances that are happening on, on some of the areas, but you've got to make sure that the driver remains engaged in the driving task at all times. Um, and that's essentially really what, uh, what what's missing really in all Teslas is, uh, is adequate driver monitoring. Yeah. Do you think, you know, I think you and I discussed this uh, um, issue about driver monitoring system, um, you know, sometime, but um, you often mentioned that how DMS, driver monitoring system, is a topic that most reporters don't cover, whether intentionally or unintentionally. The people include, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the media, so engrossed with what's happening with autopilot, what's what's coming down the pike with uh, full self-driving uh, beta, that uh, people are so engrossed with these uh, so-called advancements that they, they think that DMS is old news. You agree? I do. That's exactly what I see. And that perception, I believe, to be uh, completely wrong. Um, so there's a, there's a narrative which has taken place in the last sort of uh, two or three years that uh, and it's really it's really driven by Tesla that you know they are 
one simple over-the-air update away from self-driving utopia. Um, you know, call it level four, call it level five. It, it doesn't matter. Um, you know that essentially that you can uh, you can push the the self-driving button. Uh, and you can fall asleep or you can get in the back and, you know, you can do whatever you like and the car will drive itself perfectly forever. Um, and I think that the, the technology behind uh, self-driving is is so complicated that I think a lot of the mainstream journalists can't actually understand how much further it's still got to go. So when Elon Musk and when Tesla are talking about, you know, well, we can do this in, uh, you know, name a timeline. Um, I, I think so many people just simply agree with, 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 with what Elon is saying. So we then end up with this narrative that's formed and has, has been reinforced by so many reports in, uh, in various publications in the media um, that, you know, if, if self-driving is on the home stretch, then what's the point of driver monitoring systems? You know, why, why care about what the driver is doing when you can push the self-driving button, the car will drive itself, uh, you know, it will take you to Vegas, you can sleep the whole way if you want. Uh, and it's perfect uh, and everybody's happy and uh, essentially humans never need to touch the steering wheel again. And, and, and the, the, the narrative really that we're seeing in the mainstream media is just so far away from what reality looks like that, yes, these autopilot full self-driving systems, yes, they have some safety benefits and yes, they have got some interesting technical advances to lots of other systems from, from certain other manufacturers, but you still have to have the driver monitoring the system at all times and if it makes the worst decision at the wrong time uh, that the human driver is or the human is able to step in and supervise uh, the actions of it so you only need to listen to just about anything ever said by missy cummings to know just how far away we are from removing the driver from the uh, the responsibility of overseeing these systems yeah so um the explain to us that um DMS is not just one single camera looking at the driver. I mean, there seems to be a lot of technology innovations happening. Could you name names as well as the examples of the advancements of the technologies in the area of uh, driver monitoring? Yes. Uh, now, how could I go about doing that quickly? Um, so let's look at a, a few of the companies. So the, the company that I would have said is that the clear technology leader, and this is my personal opinion, is Seeing Machines um, of uh, from Canberra in Australia. And they are the company that are best known for having uh, the, the driver monitoring system in Cadillac Supercruise. Um, and the company I would have put second in terms of technology leadership is SmartEye. Uh, Gothenburg, Sweden, um, and they are also in production vehicles. They're in a number of BMW uh, systems as well, but BMW models. Um, there's other companies. There's Eyesight Technologies, Jumbo Connectivity, um, and Xperry. Um, they bought a company called PhotoNation, so PhotoNation is now part of uh, uh, Xperry. And really what is happening now is uh, the proliferation of technology which can work in real time. So state-of-the-art driver monitoring is now looking at about 60 frames per second um, vision analytics. Uh, so there's tremendous throughput and tremendous processing going on in these systems. Um, and really what we're seeing is uh, a, a sort of a, a, a direction that looks very much like where Mobileye has gone with, with front camera, that you end up with a very tightly coupled um, chip and software solution, um, which is really the direction that I see the driver monitoring market going. So uh, some people talk about hardware agnostic driver monitoring, but really what I'm seeing is is a very, very tight coupling between 
um, the chip, which is, is mostly doing hardware acceleration through that, that, that 60 frames per second vision analytics um, with the drive monitoring algorithms together. So there's a lot of work that's been, been going on on the software algorithms. Um, there's a lot of work that's been happening on the optical path in the last three years. Really, there's a, a, a transition from 850 nanometer infrared into 940 nanometer infrared. Um, and the benefit of that is that the, the sun uh, emits much less energy, much less radiation at 940 nanometer. So you get much less interference from the sun uh, and direct sunlight. Um, but it's a much more complicated um, uh, uh, optical path to, to work in 940 compared to, to 850 nanometer. Um, and then one of the other trends that I'm also seeing really is on the, uh, uh, the work that's being done around human factor science and behavioral research to really take uh, sort of the, the, the raw data information that is gathered about head pose and blink rate and eye gaze vector and transfer that information really using probabilistic AI to make assessments of how engaged is the driver in the driving task, how drowsy are they, uh, how attentive are they, what's, what's their cognitive uh, uh, engagement in the driving task, and, and how can you make assessments about, about how engaged they are in the driving task and what does that mean in terms of accident risk. Um, so there's, there's tremendous innovation that is going on in DMS and, and, and essentially in a market which today doesn't really exist very much. Wow. So, yeah, you know, this actually is a good segue. I was saving this question later, but I think I'm going to talk about the uh, I'm going to ask you about this sort of uh, relationship between what you just described, described as driver monitoring system. And I think you also used the word human factor, right? So the relationship with DMS and human factor technology, I was actually rereading the uh, uh, story you contributed to the uh, Sensors in Automotive book that we recently published. And uh, there's um, a contributed piece done by you. It's uh, The title was Oranges, Lemons, and Autopilot, right? And uh, <laughs> that, that's really a well-written article because uh, it actually covers a lot of grounds, but I think what spoke to me most is that when you said safety advancements come from, you know, the greatest safe, safety adva advancements come from the combination of DMS and human factor technology. Explain us a little bit about this human factor technology. How does, the, how does it relate to the whole DMS discussion we are having here? So really what we're talking about here is, is driver monitoring systems, DMS. You could describe that really as the interface between humans and machines, humans and automation. So what we could think of is that, that the human face, it's like the ultimate analog signal. So really what we're looking at is, is can you, how do you point a camera at a human face and you make assessments based on um, their, their head position, uh, their eye gaze vector, um, the position of their mouth, uh, how open are their eyelids, uh, how fast are their eyes blinking, how often are they blinking, what's the, 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 uh, the, the measurements of the, the pupil. Um, that's uh, called pupillometry. So really what the seeing happening now is really this transition from what we can call raw data gathering, which is just looking at what the, the, the face is doing and doing computer vision processing on that. Um, to understanding what do these assessments mean in terms of accident risk. And, and essentially what is happening, and this is one of the reasons why I, I personally regard seeing machines as the technology leader is because they've taken a system uh, and they've installed it into uh, heavy trucks. 
Um, and I think they've got 20, 23,000 systems installed in heavy trucks. Um, and what they're doing is every time there's a distraction event or a fatigue event, they're gathering um, video clips, which can be relayed back to their um, um, processing center. And, and that information can be used. It's a form of naturalistic driving data that you can use to understand. Uh, it, it's, it's a source of training data to train the AI, the probabilistic AI algorithms about what the, the uh, implications are of uh, essentially the way that humans get distracted or fall asleep. Um, so human factor science is really understanding. It, it's taking everything to the very next level of what does the raw data actually tell us about how engaged is the driver in the driving task? Are they paying attention? It's not just where are they looking or are their eyes actually closed, but it's, it's how engaged are they in the driving task moment to moment. Now, the reason that that matters is if you can grade um, the, the driver's attention level and uh, attention state and engagement level in real time, it, it actually gives you the opportunity to turn down the sensitivity of some of the ADAS systems. So as, as you wrote about not so long ago in uh, uh, the AAA research that we saw, um, and they were specifically talking about the number of beeps and chimes and alerts and alarms and everything that you get when drivers are touching the white line, you get the, 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 uh, you get the alerts from the lane keeping system. My own car does exactly the same thing. And, and actually what I do it from time to time, I get so annoyed with the system, I just turn, turn it off. Um, but what the what the, the the addition of human factor science and behavioral research on top of very basic driver monitoring gives you is uh, the ability to say if the driver is engaged, if they are alert, if they are paying attention, if their eyes are on the road, um, you can turn off the, 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 the turn off the alerts because you can give the driver the benefit of the doubt that if they are facing forwards and they are clearly engaged in what they're doing, because I do this all the time when I move move over a lane after I've overtaken a vehicle, I don't use my indicators. Um, and the system beats at me. Um, and yet what, what human factor science really enables to do is to take the, the driver monitoring to the next level so that uh, it, the system can see, yes, Colin is paying attention. Yes, his eyes are on the road. Yes, he's engaged with the driving task. Yes, he's just crossed the white line, but that was quite clearly intentional. Um, so that, that torrent, and, and this is the most annoying thing, is that those, those, those events, those alarms, those beeps and those chimes, they are distracting in themselves. Exactly. Um, and they, they quite often, quite often, they appear at the very worst time. Um, you know, I get my, my automated emergency braking system, AEB, quite often gives me a, a, a beep and an alert telling me to brake at the very point at which I'm trying to navigate quite a difficult uh, uh, change of direction and, and things going on. And it thinks that there's an imminent collision. And, and I have from my, my own you know, path planning and, uh, uh, and prediction as a, as a driver, I know full well that the, the situation is, is there's no risk. Um, so this is really what driver monitoring has, uh, has this bad rep of you know, being ineffective. This is what uh, uh, you know, Tesla and, uh, uh, have said in the past, that they didn't use it because it was ineffective. But not only can you take the driver monitoring algorithms. If you put all of this human factor science behavioral research on top of it, it actually means that you can you can modify the sensitivity of the ADAS systems in real time and take away this annoying torrent of, uh, of alerts. And, and that's the, the key safety benefit is that so many people, they get so tired of these alerts, they simply turn the system off and all of the safety benefits that go with the systems are then lost entirely. So this is a real key factor um, for uh, the future of uh, making human drivers into safer drivers is the combination of, of driver monitoring with ADAS uh, 
really these two systems what i see going forward is, is very very tightly coupled together so the the the, the, the alerts so and the intervention really from the adas can be modified based on how much attention the, the human driver is paying yeah no that's uh that's a very good good point i always thought that uh dms originally i thought that oh this is like having my mother drive you know sitting right next to me and nagging me oh you've done this wrong and that wrong or you should have paid attention that was like oh shut up mom right i mean <laughs> And, and the really great thing is that actually the, the addition of an interior camera looking at the driver actually reduces the nag. It reduces the nanny tech. It reduces the alerts. It reduces the alarms. It reduces the cheat, the chimes and the beeps. Um, because quite frankly, provided the driver is actually paying attention to driving, you can turn most of those ADAS alarms off. Um, and, and the really key thing is that at the moment that something truly critical happens, the system can make an instantaneous judgment about how much attention the driver is paying in that moment. And, and actually, it can it can respond even more severely than the driver might have done. So uh, it might just come in and it might just intervene and just jam the brakes on completely. If the forward camera actually says like a child has run into the road. And in that precise moment, let's say that the, the driver is looking at their infotainment system and doing something with the map. And the, the, the ADAS of the driver monitoring signals can automatically see the driver is disengaged and immediately apply the brakes. Um, so there are there are actually really critical life-saving uh, benefits from adding uh, really sophisticated driver monitoring systems in, into all vehicles, um, because there's all sorts of things that happen day-to-day -day driving, which, um, uh, um, it, you know, so the, the system can be made less sensitive when the driver is, is um, engaged, and it can be made much more sensitive if anything happens in the moment when the driver is, is not, not paying attention. Wow. Well, this is becoming more sophisticated than I had originally imagined. What's the impact for the semiconductor companies who are providing technologies to enable DMS then? Yeah, so essentially what's happening is because there is so much more image processing and AI that is, is happening in, in the algorithms, uh, the requirements of the semiconductor solutions is going up. Um, so what we've seen uh, in the past, I've seen people talking about uh, using like a spare core and an instrument cluster to run some of the driver monitoring algorithms. But personally, I, I don't think that that is a high enough performing solution for many of the systems that we're talking about here. So what we've seen is, for example, seeing machines have worked very closely with uh, Xilinx to develop um, a, a very dedicated FPGA. They call that the Fovio chip. Um, and that's kind of the equivalent of the, the IQ range of chips that, uh, that Mobileye have. So, so seeing machines working in collaboration with Xilinx have got that very tightly coupled chip and DMS software package that they, they could offer to automakers. Um, uh, I'm also seeing trends for driver monitoring uh, ASIC cores uh, being offered. Um, so uh, the chips that we have mounted in the, in the windshield, uh, uh, Mobileye is one of those suppliers. Um, Renesas is another. Uh, Toshiba have some of that business. Texas Instruments have some of that business. What I'm seeing now is the possibility to take the driver monitoring uh, IP and add that as an ASIC core onto a microprocessor. Or, uh, so, so really what, what we're seeing that is if, uh, you know, for example, Renesas or, or TI, they might actually license a DMS ASIC core and integrate that into their chip. Uh, so going forward, they can offer to automakers the opportunity to have um, really a, a sort of a, a forward camera ADAS and interior camera driver monitoring solution on one chip. 
Um, but really what's happening is, is because the trend is very much moving towards sort of 60 frames per second. That's the, typically the frame rate of the, the image sensors that are used. So everything is working in real time. There's no frame buffering. Um, those, those interior sensors, um, uh, OnSemi is one company that offers those, uh, OmniVision, uh, ST Microelectronics, there's a, a number of companies that offer those, those interior infrared image sensors. Um, they work at 60 frames per second, and then essentially the, the vision processing, the vision analytics is happening in real time on the, on the chip solution. So be that an FPGA or an ASIC core, uh, NVIDIA are, are, are looking to target that market as well with GPU. Um, so there's, it's really state-of-the-art uh, development that is happening here on, on both the algorithms uh, around computer vision and probabilistic AI and also on the chips as well. Um, there's some, some really, really interesting innovation that's happening and, and so little of it is reported. Yeah, it's time for the uh, horse, race, horse race stories on DMS market, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about this to wrap it up. Let's talk about timeline. And uh, there seems to be a lot, lots going on in Europe. So let's start from there. Who said when, what, you know, did, who said what, when? Let's start from um, maybe your, your, your European Parliament, your NCAP. Uh, walk us through. Yeah. So there's two completely unrelated uh uh, developments that are happening in Europe, and, and one is uh, is a mandate, and, and one is advisory. So, what is happening with the European Parliament um, has been um, an update to what's called the General Safety Regulation (GSR), um, and approximately that's kind of the equivalent of uh, FMVSS uh, in, in the US. Um, and that technology is now mandated, and it says that you need to have. Um, uh, essentially a vision-based driver monitoring system in the vehicle watching the driver. And that uh, mandate is uh, coming into effect um, for what you could call hands-free highway assist systems from June 2022. Um, so new model launches in Europe uh, with those sort of like super cruise features from June 2022. Um, and then for every other new model that's introduced uh, in Europe uh, has to have a, a vision-based DMS from June 2024. And the key timeline is that by June 2026, absolutely no vehicle can be sold in Europe, um, a car, van, truck, uh, coach, bus that doesn't have uh, a vision-based driver monitoring system. Um, so that has implications really for where we started the conversation here with Tesla is that if they want to sell vehicles in Europe uh, after June 2026, they either fit DMS or um, they, they leave. Um, so that's critical, really, is that, that and that is a mandate. Um, so that's the European Parliament and the General Safety Regulation. And then there's a second uh, track uh, that is happening in Europe, which is about uh, Euro NCAP, uh, the new car assessment program. Um, and uh, this was originally scheduled for testing in uh, 2022, um, that Euro NCAP were going to start uh, adding uh, test protocols for vision-based driver monitoring from the 2022 uh, timescale. Um, but owing to complications uh, uh, associated with COVID, that's been put back for two years as they, some of the, the working groups um, couldn't meet and uh, uh, there's, there's been some, some delays and some complications there. So really, from a European perspective, uh, the, uh, the European Parliament, the General Safety Regulation and the Euro NCAP testing protocols for vision-based DMS, that all comes into play in 2024 um, for, for, for the, really for the mass market. 
Um, and, you know, on automotive timescales, that's not actually very far away. You know, we're into 2021 uh, in, uh, in just a few weeks. So um, uh, the clock is ticking. And, uh, and I think even though many announcements haven't been made yet, I think there's a, a lot of lot of things going on in the background. Uh, and uh, I'm just waiting for, uh, for more detailed announcements to be made. Okay. What about in North America? What do you know? So uh, there is some legislation that was brought called the Moving Forward Act, um, and that passed the House of Representatives uh, back in June, I think that was, um, and that includes uh, many actually of the, uh, the advanced technology systems uh, that have been mandated in Europe. So automatic emergency braking, uh, lane key persistence, uh, I think blind spot detection is in there, and obviously uh, vision-based DMS as well. Um, but that legislation is sitting, uh, I think, waiting to pass the Senate. And uh, I think there's, uh, there's been uh, a, few, um, uh, a, f- a few administration uh, <laughs> issues in, in the US just in the last uh, week or so. Uh, so I, I don't know how that will settle down, but uh, we'll wait and, see, uh, wait and see what that looks like. And, and then also there's, I, I guess, the possibility that NCAP, which is the, uh, uh, the, the group which is part of uh, NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic uh, Safety Administration, uh, they could very well import and adopt much of the work that has been done by Euro NCAP and Thatcher Research in Europe uh, to really update their, uh, uh, their testing protocols. I think I've seen some statistics from the Center for Auto Safety that said 97% of new models in the US qualify for a four or five star NCAP rating. Um, and essentially, if you launch a new vehicle, it, it automatically qualifies for a four or five star. And uh, um, what, what I can see happening really is, is some transfer of the, the, the development work and the, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the work that's been done in Europe into the US um, for the adoption of, of drive monitoring in the US. That would be good. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming to the show. And uh, I learned a lot as usual. Thanks. My pleasure, Junko. Always great to talk to you. That was Colin Barnden, lead analyst for Semicast Research. If you want to dive deeper into the subject, Junko wrote a story this week on DMS that provides more details about the technology and about the automotive market. It's called Name the Mobileye of Driver Monitoring Systems. Find it on our website at eetimes.com. There's also a handy-dandy link on this podcast episode webpage. The IC industry has been riding silicon for a long, long time. There's plenty more to do with silicon, but it's approaching its technological limits. And nowhere is that more apparent than in power applications. IC designers building devices for power management are already moving on from silicon to wide band gap materials. The phrase wide band gap is sort of a basket term, including several different materials, but as of today, there are only two that are widely used commercially. They are gallium nitride and silicon carbide, GAN and SICK, respectively. Wide band gap semiconductors have clear advantages over silicon, including greater power efficiency, smaller size, lighter weight, and lower overall cost. That said, they're still somewhat exotic, and there are plenty of engineers who appreciate the opportunity to learn more about them. And it just so happens that we know where you can do that. The 2020 Wide Band Gap Conference is going to be held on December 8 and December 9. 
Of course, it's being held virtually, so like pretty much every other conference these days, getting there will be easy. To find out more about what's in store for attendees, we called up Bodo Arlt, a key organizer of the event. I asked Bodo about the difference between a silicon power IC and one of the newer wide band gap ICs. It's not a drop-in replacement. Mostly the wide band gap need especially new design as the passives could be significant reduced in size as the frequency the wide band gap devices can switch a much higher than historical IGBT and MOSFETs. So that all together shows that new design needs to get the good driven influence. And it was my uh, objective to bring the industry and the users, the design engineers uh, on the application side together on a very comprehensive, clear, focused conference, which started in December four years ago. So engineers who come to the upcoming conference on December 8th and 9th are going to learn about the technology itself and how to use it. Exactly. They learn about using the technology. And in addition, they learn about the reliability of the devices, which is very, very important uh, for long-term use. If you look into automotive areas or high rail areas, or even the lifetime of a product that these devices will serve well. And at these points, uh, a lot of presentations will also uh, have these data mentioned and uh, they can be uh, delivered on demand from all the serious vendors who are playing in the market nowadays. Bodo, thank you very much for your time and uh, good luck with the conference. Thank you very much, Brian. That was Bodo Arlt, editor-in-chief of Bodo's Power Systems and the key organizer of the 2020 Wide Band Gap Conference. There will be a link to the conference registration page on our podcast episode webpage. Bodo said that Prominent presentations will be given by Alex Lido from EPC, along with speakers from Navitas, Wolfspeed Cree, Infineon, and Tektronix. And that wraps your weekly briefing for the week ending November 27th. Thank you for listening. The weekly briefing is available on all the major podcast platforms, including Stitcher and Spotify, but if you get to us via our website at www.eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. This podcast is produced by Aspen Core Studio. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. 
I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.